The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. friends, welcome back to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast Weekly Roundup Edition. My name is Josh Norris. Thanks for making time for us. If you do enjoy this episode, this podcast, hit that subscribe button. We are nearing our next 100 reviews on iTunes. So if you listen to that platform, take like 10 seconds. Leave us a review. It helps us out tremendously. We're trying to retain our audience as we go along the season, even if you lose your fantasy weeks. We're still here to help you the next week and just for entertainment's sake as the season goes along. So it was a wild week five, been a wild start to the season. Uh, We had Deshaun Watson hitting on the deep passes he missed last week to the tune of a bunch of points. Kyler Murray got his first win. Aaron Rodgers went into Dallas and got a win as well. We've done all those games again as we catch up with all these writers and I think I think we fixed the audio, at least improved it. We're still a work in progress, but we've improved it. It's been a goal this week. I actually had a game to cover, so why don't we start with that one and we'll get it out of the way. It was the Panthers at home beating the Jacksonville Jaguars 34-27. to You know, both teams started off the touchdown drive. Panthers had it first with Kyle Allen, drove down, had a leaping touchdown, flying Christian McCaffrey over a couple defenders, but then just like three three or four plays Gardner Minshew took it down the field and connected on an absolutely beautiful throw to DJ Shark. DJ Shark is outstanding. I mean, he's an awesome, awesome football player. When he was drafted, like the Jaguars just thought he could run fast in a straight line and block well for a running back. Yet in this game, 11 targets, eight receptions, 164 yards and two touchdowns. He's easily startable every single week. He and Gardner Minshew have a great connection. Both these quarterbacks showed their flaws in this one. For Kyle Allen, he has this tendency to run to the back of his blockers or escape the pocket when he doesn't have to. Like his pocket presence just isn't up there of like a quality starter level. And then he had another fumble or two fumbles. It's tough to keep track. He just cannot hold the football when he's getting pressured in the pocket. Uh, And Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew had a fumble himself that he lost when his own offensive line was blocked into him, and that was returned for a touchdown by Brian Burns. And then another one where he missed the handoff to tailback and instead tipped it on his fullback, and that fell forward for a Panthers recovery. Um, The positives. Christian McCaffrey, ridiculous. 19 carries, 176 yards, and two touchdowns, including an 84-yard touchdown run in the third quarter. Just split open the Jaguars' defense up the middle and completely gashed them. Um, the Jaguars linebackers just had no chance. Anytime it was isolated one-on-one, either in a passing route, which he converted on an 18-yard touchdown against Miles Jack, out in space, he was using power with stiff arms, just creating extra yards. Christian McCaffrey did that and added another 61 yards and a touchdown 
in the air. Uh, DJ Moore is the leading receiver for the Panthers, 91 yards. Curtis Samuel, I know a lot of people are going to be nervous, and I guess you kind of should be because the volume is just not there with Kyle Allen. Six targets, three receptions, 19 yards. He did have a couple carries as well for 25 yards. But Kyle Allen isn't looking vertical unless he sees a single high safety and isolated coverage on the outside. And then pre-snap, he just knows he's going to lob it up. He did that to DJ Moore, but not to Curtis Samuel, at least one that was catchable because another one down the field was almost intercepted by the corner opposite Samuel. A little development here with Reggie Bonifon, the backup for Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey missed the final couple series with cramps. It was really just cramps. But Bonifon in the fourth quarter had a 59-yard touchdown run on his own. So we'll see if that ends up being more opportunities for him to maybe keep Christian McCaffrey safe and healthy. Uh, And then Leonard Fournette, 23 carries, 108 yards, touchdown. He has his backfield completely on lockdown and was there in the receiving game as well with four catches on seven targets. Quickly, I want to close. Please do not say that Kyle Allen is a better quarterback than Cam Newton. Today showed that off-target passes, just very little pocket presence. The Panthers have the Tampa Bay Bucks next in London and then have a bye. If Cam is healthy and when Cam is healthy with two healthy feet, uh, he should absolutely have the starting job back. All right, let's start the whip around now. The Houston Texans and Atlanta Falcons combined for one, two, carry the five, 85 <laughs> points with the Houston Texans winning 53 to 32. That lovely chuckle come from Ian Harditz and he covered that game for us. Ian, I see five touchdown passes for Deshaun Watson and three of them going to Will Fuller. Hey, a Will Fuller breakout game in 2019. Five touchdowns, five incompletions for Deshaun Watson. I mean, what a performance from him, you know, a week after a lot of people were giving him crap for not only, you know, missing those two deep balls last week, but also just holding the ball uh, in general. Maybe the most surprising stat from this game, even though even in a game where we have Will Fuller setting the ninth best fantasy performance from a wide receiver ever, that stat's courtesy of the always awesome Graham Barfield. Wildest stat, though, Deshaun Watson, zero sacks taken. The guy was able to stay up. You know, he holds the ball a lot. He will take uh, sacks. He does it because he can create big plays down the field and extend plays. And we saw that a couple times. He looked like he was wrapped up one time, literally fumbled the ball during the middle of the play, picked it up, ran for the first down, uh, got loose again a couple other times. He's going to take sacks some weeks. It's not going to be a zero thing every time out. But the more he can find this balance between picking his spots to try to create these big plays that only he's capable of doing and also, you know, taking that three-step drop back, putting his foot down and just throwing in rhythm to keep his receivers a little, a little more consistently involved, like that's when we're going to see this scary version of the Houston offense. So, no, I don't think anyone quite predicted we'd get three touchdowns and over 200 yards from Will Fuller. And also, like, this dude – he, he, he got, he got a tackle at the one-yard line twice, so Will Fuller's game could have been even bigger somehow. But I think it was just a good reminder of how good this Texas offense can be when they're really clicking on all cylinders. Yeah, Watson completed 28 of 33 for 426 yards. Uh, yeah, I mentioned the 14 receptions, 217 yards on 16 targets. That's wild. Um, Kiki Cutie added three receptions of his own for 72 yards in a starting role now. DeAndre Hopkins, eight targets, seven receptions. 88 yards. Heck, even Darren Fells got two touchdowns. I mean, Ian, it's gotten to the point with this Atlanta Falcons defense that no matter who they're playing, we want players, we want exposure in their opponent because they're just 
giving up points to every single person on the other on the other team. Yeah, I mean, we knew that you want to target uh, running backs against Atlanta Falcons, obviously, with how many receptions they allow. Uh, you know, just in the underneath areas of the field and how they're designed to do. But that wasn't even a factor this week. I mean, Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson really weren't involved at all in the receiving game. Part of that was Kiki being back. But even then, I mean, Kiki got the bulk of his yards on a blown coverage, this 51-yarder that he was able to get up the field on. And the blown coverage thing was pretty much a, a recurring uh, you know, problem the entire afternoon for the Falcons on, on Fuller's second touchdown. I mean, it was just a regular deep cross that Trufant tried to pass off. And then the other cornerback, you know, had his hands out saying, you know, what happened here? So uh, those, those problems kind of persisted all afternoon and honestly all season at this point for Atlanta. I mean, they are spiraling out of control fast. And honestly, though, it's helping the fantasy production of his passing offense. We haven't seen Matt yeah. Ryan finish with fewer than 300 yards yet. And you look at the box scores, and it's clear that this offense isn't like clicking the way they want to. We've seen Julio Jones now finish with under under 60 yards in back-to-back weeks, hasn't found the end zone, only 14 total targets the last two games. Uh, him and Calvin Ridley like have only gotten consistently going in that Philadelphia Eagles game, and who hasn't gotten going uh, as far as wide receiver goes against that secondary uh, for the better part of the last year or so. So uh, I, don't, I don't know if we can take that much away from their good performance back in week two or whenever it was, because otherwise it's just pretty much their run game can't get going against anyone. Matt Ryan is playing pretty well when he's not being pressured or, you know, making mistakes uh, near the red zone. But more than anything, we're just seeing them eventually sooner rather than later fall behind by a couple scores. And then it becomes the Austin Hooper, Devontae Freeman checkdown show. Yeah, Matt Ryan had three touchdowns on his own on 330 yards, uh, just 16 combined carries for Devontae Freeman and Ito Smith. Uh, Calvin Ridley, five for 88, including a long gain of 29 yards, and that was a touchdown. Um, Austin beautiful, Hooper, beautiful yeah, touchdown by Ridley, by f- the way. 56 yards for Austin Hooper, and you mentioned just 42 for Julio Jones. I will say Devontae Freeman had a, a touchdown reception as well. I mean, Ian, it's gotten to the point, though, where this is – kind of the team that Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn envisioned, right? I know Keanu Neal is hurt. I know some of the offensive linemen that they drafted early have been in and out of the lineup, but it's not like this isn't a roster that they wanted to go into the season with, yet they sit here at one and four. Watching them, do you think that they can turn it around, or is it already to the point where this defense is so bad that no matter who they're facing, they will have to work out of a hole and then it makes their offense very, very one-dimensional. It's their defense, but I don't think this team was ever really designed to have this like dominant defense. I, I think they've been built to flow through their offense, even when they, you know, were not blowing that a uh, huge twenty-eight to three lead away from winning the Super Bowl. I mean, this has been an offensive football team for the better part of the last half decade. And yeah, they broke thirty points today, but again, a lot of that came with the game already well in hand. Like they it took until this week for the offense to clear twenty-four points. So as bad as the defense has been like, I think the reason why they're now 1-4 is more to do with their offense not really approaching mm. that elite status that they're built to be. So, yeah, it's not going to be easy for them to turn this around if they're with this mediocre defense. But I don't know. Entering the year, I, I kind of feel like this is what we thought the defense was going to be. I may expect a little more out of the pass rush and just their uh, secondary in general. But it's been more of the offense, man. It's you know to, to see them struggle to move the ball pretty much every game until – 
they get back into hurry up mode and they're already down a couple scores. It, it's concerning. I don't, I don't particularly see them turning the ship entirely around. I don't really think they're a three and thirteen team per se, but you know, six and ten, seven or nine, and more or less only being there to put up some uh, points here or there in the right shootout. Not great. As previously mentioned, the Falcons are one and four. The Texans are now three and two. So we go from a game with eighty-five points combined that we head over to London, where the Oakland Raiders win and quote unquote at home twenty-four to twenty-one over the Bears. Both teams are now three and two. Uh, I didn't get to watch much of this game, Ian, but like the the little pieces that I did see, it was the Raiders taking the lead early on. Someone named Chase Daniel. Just kidding. We know who he is. Uh, he's made like $35 million in his career. Uh, leading the Bears back, but then bad turnovers and the Raiders being able to take the game and win it in the end. Chase Daniel just living the life. Five career starts to his name and rolling in those uh, million-dollar paychecks. So kudos to Chase for living out the American dream. But, yeah, it, it just was not a good performance uh, from the veteran backup quarterback. He had two interceptions that were both absolutely on him just in terms – and one of them was a bad overthrow to pretty much end the game. Another one, he just didn't see the linebacker, immediately regretted the pass as soon as he threw it. Even had another interception on just an overthrown screen pass that got – uh, nullified by a pretty questionable roughing the passer penalty. So can't really say anything good about Chase Daniel from this one. His only bright spots were when he actually gave uh, Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller chances down the field and contested uh, coverage, which, you know, aren't the easiest throws for quarterbacks to make. We've seen Trubisky kind of shy away from some of those over the years as well. But when they did go downfield, they were pretty successful because I don't think anyone's ever doubted this Bears offense has some weapons to flow through. It's just kind of been about finding the right quarterback under center to make it happen. So uh, the huge bright spot from this offense was Allen Robinson, uh, two touchdowns, 97 yards. He just looks so much better than last season, both in terms of going up and getting it, making those high point catches that, you know, he was, that was really the main part of his game uh, as a recruit. And then just in his blow up year in Jacksonville, and then also just running after the catch and that ability, he seems a hundred percent back from that injury. It took him uh, until this week to find the end zone, but I think we can look at him as a pretty consistent wide receiver two moving forward. I don't know that anyone else in this offense is going to hold a consistent fantasy value though, unfortunately. And that does include David Montgomery, who we saw his snap rate slip for the first time this season after going up every single week, uh, 57%, whole lot of Tariq. Mike Davis is still not involved. He only played four snaps, which was good to see, but you know, maybe after the week six bye, they really just turn around and get this offense flown through Montgomery. But I'm hesitant in expecting him to just all of a sudden step up and become this super consistent fancy performer. If we're going to have Tariq stealing most of the pass game work and Montgomery just continues to not really create big plays. So he's going to need a whole lot of touches and a whole lot of um, scoring opportunities to really become this high-end RB2 that everyone's hoping he'll be. And right now he's stuck in a below-average offense and not getting the touches. So it's it's tough to be any fancy uh, performer in this offense other than Allen Robinson. Uh, Raiders went up 17 nothing, and it seems like a lot of it was through Josh Jacobs, who I have been extremely impressed by early in the season. I know like a lot of production hasn't been there, but 26 carries, 123 yards, and two touchdowns on the ground. I mean, no receiver went over 46 yards for the Raiders in the air. I mean, this is a very, very good Bears defense. How were the Oakland Raiders were able to hashtag establish it against this good <laughs> Bears defense? 
Yeah, you could be even more impressed after reviewing this film, man, because he looked awesome from the beginning. Just just always making the first guy miss, falling forward. He doesn't get enough credit for being just a real physical back, too. I mean, he's not like this scat back that they're, you know, like like Miles Sanders and some of these running backs have, I don't want to call them scat backs, but they have struggled to run up the middle a little bit more. We see them bouncing runs. Like, that's not Jacobs right now. I mean, his, his vision was almost like Dalvin Cook-esque, just in terms of you never see the guy really missing the hole. And then once he gets through it, like, he's all of a sudden an explosive athlete in the open field. So, I mean, you and me have been harping on this throughout the season, really since week one, like, just for the Raiders to get him more involved in the passing game. And all that comes down to is just you watch the guy when he's in the open field and he's always making the first guy miss, and he's making things happen. So why not just scheme up some new ways to get him in those favorable situations? It did seem like they were, they were taking steps towards doing that. Uh, Jalen Richard and DeAndre Washington, unfortunately, still combined for more targets than Jacobs. But part of that was Jacobs was questionable to return with an elbow injury for a little bit of the game, so he lost some reps there. That's when Washington got in for the goal line touchdown. So it did seem more... Um, positively trending towards Jacobs becoming a more of a game uh, flow dependent three down back. But with that said, we're going to need to see a little more evidence because this was surprisingly a two touchdown Raiders lead uh, for most of the game, at least up until the end of the third and into the fourth quarter. So, I mean, hats off to John Gruden, I think overall from this game. And, you know, we don't say that all that often in these fantasy circles, but he had an awesome game plan. You know, was missing Tyrell Williams and no receiver ended up having more than five targets. He routinely kind of set up Derek Carr with these good high percentage play action plays, was able to get the run game going. And, you know, the Raiders played harder than the Bears and they were able to win the Lions scrimmage. So hats off to uh, Mr. Gruden. And it's not like it gets easier for the Raiders. It's a difficult schedule. I mean, they are three and two. But coming off a bye week, which you get after playing in London, they're at the Packers, then at the Texans, then home against the Lions and the Chargers. The New Orleans Saints improved to 4-1 and and 2-0 and under Teddy Bridgewater, taking down the NFC South rival in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 31-24. to Patrick Jordy covered this game for us. Pat, uh, let's talk about the Saints in a second. First, I want to talk, focus on Tampa Bay because, I mean, this is a team in the first two weeks showed us one thing. The second two weeks showed us another. Like, what version of Tampa Bay was this? Because I'm looking at Jameis Winston's stats, and, like, they don't make a lot of sense. This version was DeMar Dotson got hurt, and the Bucks. That was kind of late in the game, though. This version was the version where the Bucks' offensive line was getting caved in on every play, got basically. It. And uh, Mike Evans was in Marshawn Lattimore jail. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore had not really been, you know, like a, a stay-away guy so far this year. He had been allowing a ton of yardage. But he he put the clamp down on Mike Evans today, and Mike Evans had the indignity of uh, he was one of his three targets. He was defensed by PJ Williams, the very burnable Saint slot corner, and PJ got a pass breakup. So it was just that kind of day for the Bucks offense. And Jameis Winston took six sacks, Ooh. and yeah, it was just Jameis didn't have a lot of time to let plays develop. Um, he was making poor. He, he had a zero turnover game. If you look at the box score, but uh, he had one interception. <laughs> this is not a joke. A very Jameis Winston. He had one interception undone by a Bucks delay of game penalty. Uh, so, so a really, really fortuitous development for the Bucks. Then he had another one. Somehow, Pat, two wrongs make a right. Yeah. And then he had another interception undone by a defensive holding penalty on the other side of the field. And then he had a, a loss. He lost a fumble. He didn't lose. He fumbled, and the Bucks recovered. Okay. So it could have been a far more disastrous day for the Bucks than it even was. They had a lot of really turnover luck. 
yeah, they just weren't blocking today. And I know Superdome has been really getting to people the past two weeks again. So, you know, it was kind of a burn the tape day for the Bucks. And so it doesn't answer your question at all about which Bucks team. I mean, I guess we just don't know. I mean, it did, Pat, because last week against the Rams, the offensive line for the Bucks actually played really well and allowed Jameis Winston to operate and find receivers down the field. And in this case, it was Chris Godwin, nine targets, seven receptions, 125 yards and two touchdowns. But the next leading receiver was Dare Ogumbawale with 27 receiving yards. So, yes, I mean, the offensive line issues definitely came into fruition in the box score. Uh, on the Saints side, though, Pat, I mean, look, I speak about this. I'm open to it. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is the best football player, but I will forever root for Teddy Bridgewater. And in this game, he completed 26 to 34, 314, uh, four touchdowns and an interception. I mean, four freaking touchdowns for Teddy against the Bucks defense. Not bad. Yeah, the Bucks defense, you know, we were kind of talking about. I, I was kind of trying to narrative the Panthers defense last week on Twitter. And a lot of people were tweeting at me like, what about the Bucks defense? They're not getting any respect. And I did agree with that. And then, yeah, they got torn apart. Uh, they did get, I can't remember, one of the one of their corners got ejected earlier in the game. Uh, I can't remember. It was who, Carlton uh, Davis. A, yeah, Carlton Davis, who isn't, uh, Bruce Arians told the TV booth apparently this week that he was like their best cover corner. He hasn't been getting a like, great grade. I'm, you know, I'm just a student of cornerback play. Um, so, you know, I, I know the ins and outs of Carlton Davis's game. Uh, no, but he hadn't been getting good grades on pro football focus, but apparently it was a big loss and, uh, Teddy Bridgewater was just picking him apart. And the thing about Teddy Bridgewater, uh, he threw his interception before any of his touchdowns. He forced the ball into like way too tight a coverage to Alvin Kamara and it just kind of popped up in the air for a pick. And it was looking like, you know, more of just, uh, kind of like dispiriting Teddy ball. But he just he did a really good Drew Brees impression. Uh, basically, he was kind of doing that 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 great job of like, you know finding the space between the levels of the defense. The Drew Brees kind of dropping dimes in a bucket. Basically, uh, his touchdown to Ted Ginn. He really climbed the pocket well, and like some these weren't just like dinks and dunks. He was actually throwing down the field a little bit, not in like uh, any spectacular fashion, but he he got the memo basically that we were tired of basically like horizontal. Uh, 2018 Sam da- Sam Darnold quarterbacking play, and uh, yeah, it was a much improved, much more fun to watch Teddy Bridgewater on Sunday. I guess Alvin Kamara had a quiet day for him, only 104 total yards. Uh, I mentioned that Chris Godwin had 125 yards and two touchdowns on his end. Michael Thomas was like, "Hey, hold my jockstrap." 182 yards on 11 receptions and two touchdowns on his end, uh, and even Jared Cook scored a touchdown. Like this, I mean, again. We saw Instagram posts just this weekend of Drew Brees throwing, but Pat, I mean, this team has overcome a difficult part of their schedule with the Saints and have won, what, three games in a row with Teddy Bridgewater as a starter? Yeah, they're 3-0 and with Teddy Bridgewater as the starter. Yeah, Michael Thomas, let's talk about ridiculous. He, so, you know, we're seeing a lot of people in the NFL not regress this year. Like, we're seeing Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett's efficiency not really regress. We're seeing Patrick Mahomes not really regress. And then Michael Thomas playing with two different quarterbacks, I believe he's caught 45 of 55 targets this season. And just you know, a total beast. And so, I mean, playing with efficient quarterbacks, I guess. But, I mean, he uh, talk about a guy who makes his looks count. And I think he's had nine catches in three of the past four games. Chris Godwin, by the way, has had 120 yards in three of the past four games. So a lot of offensive studs in this game. And uh, most of them delivered the goods 
except for I'm sure no one was hurt by that Mike Evans goose egg uh, <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, I'm sure that was not a big deal in fantasy. I didn't read anything on Twitter. It's just not a big deal. Um, uh, three three targets for nothing. Um, yeah. <laughs> on this on the Saints, they do upcoming have the Jaguars on the road and the Bears on the road. Uh, the Jaguars defense is different if Jalen Ramsey plays or if he doesn't. Uh, and then they have Arizona Cardinals, which is a nice uh, spot at home. And then the Atlanta Falcons after that. But um, who knows? In between there is their bye week, and maybe that's when Drew Brees comes back. Pat, we cool to move to your other game? We are, yes. All right. The other one, you had the Arizona Cardinals winning the first game of the season. The first win for Kyler Murray. The first game of the era. The of first era, game Josh. for Cliff Kingsbury uh, as they toppled the now 0-5 Cincinnati Bengals on the Tough road, opponent. I mean, and a Tough very opponent. difficult place to play in Cincinnati, I might add. Yeah, was, um, I mean, today, this, the, the atmosphere in Cincinnati <laughs> today was just, wow, rocking. Right. And, yeah, uh, sorry. Uh, no, yeah, you're bad. good. You're good. Uh, <laughs> I also think, Pat, you are making light of this game, but I don't think you have ever been more invested in a football player than Kyler <laughs> Murray, who uh, did not throw a touchdown today, but he did run for one. He did. And so the the big takeaway, 10 rushes for 93 yards and a touchdown. And like, this was not like cheap rushing yardage. Like he was pulling down the ball and running and like, like big situations. And I like kind of like Josh Allen, like uh chicken with his head cut off, scrambling, like kind of strategic scrambling. He, it wasn't just like first reads covered. I'm talking, he was seeing holes basically and taking them. And like his touchdown uh, it was designed, uh, but it was, it was a fourth and two play fake. And like, so they're trusting him to run in big situations. He's trusting himself to run in big situations. And none of this, it wasn't like 40 yards on, you know, like some end of half scramble at the first half. Like he was running in big situations and running effectively. And, and he's been running more and more in recent weeks and just seemingly, you know, getting his confidence more and more. And uh, yeah, it was a, if you've been, if you're, I, I have a few Kyler Murray shares. Uh, you know, just a few a thousand. Um, yeah. And if you have some Kyler Murray shares, a uh, horrible opponent, of course, but you need to do this against horrible opponents. And he took care of business and it was a very encouraging day from the, cause he's got, he had to get his legs going cause the passing game, uh, still a work in progress, Josh. Yeah. And he, he was the team's leading rusher with 93 yards, David Johnson just after with 91 yards and Pat, like through the first two or three weeks of the season, I even Troy Aikman came out. I believe it was Troy Aikman and said, well, Kyler doesn't really want to run. He doesn't want to take this big hits. I actually think Pat, and I might've talked about this on a previous podcast. He's more afraid of taking hits in the pocket where he's definitely the smallest person. Whereas when he's on the move and now he's like you said, being more comfortable doing that, he can actually dictate how, uh, powerful and how aggressive the hit that he takes is and his touchdown run I mean, it was electric like his first couple steps looks like his feet are moving in three times the speed and he just picks up a bunch of quick yards and then it makes people miss at the second and third level yeah and he was not afraid to take hits took a number of hits in the middle of the field today it wasn't just necessarily looking to get out of bounds or to slide he took a few like legit hits and his his feet that that's like he's just a blur you know he's he's six or seven yards like when he decides to tuck and run he is like six or seven yards in the blink of an eye he doesn't need to get like a head of steam like he, he's instant acceleration and just you know not something even from the good running quarterbacks but a kind of acceleration just you're not used to seeing from that position pat david johnson was the leading receiver with 65 yards uh no christian kirk as we know so they filled in with Farrell cooper who had a measly two for 33 larry Fitzgerald got his six catches for a nice 58 yards um, on the Cincinnati side, I mean, the Cardinals are one of the worst defenses in the NFL, and they allowed Andy Dalton to throw for two touchdowns. It looks like Joe Mixon got his with 93 yards on the ground. 
Tyler Boyd, 10 receptions, 123 and one. So like, why couldn't Cincinnati either score more points or I mean, it was a close game, but why couldn't they come out on top at home? They couldn't figure out their offensive identity. It's like, so Joe Mixon had a nice day, but eight of his carries for 60 yards were on the opening drive. Andy Dalton was four of 10 for 22 yards at halftime. Uh, very Andy Dalton. He looked like he was going to you know, totally ruin basically the best matchup he's going to get all season. And, you know, it's not like they were in comeback mode. They just played a lot better in the second half. They finally, it seemed like they woke up and remembered they were playing one of the worst pass defenses in the NFL. And uh, it wasn't cheap yardage either. The big play, Tyler Boyd, 42-yard touchdown. He got a step on Buda Baker and Andy Dalton, who had not made many good throws, made a really good throw. But, yeah, it just seemed like – so they came out full-on committed to the run, and it paid off. But then Joe Mixon didn't even get many carries the rest of the first half. It's just – Basically, it was you're seeing just a very untalented offense. They lost their backup left tackle, Andre Smith, in the first half, so that did not help. But you're just it was just basically, you know, uh, an offense like the Bengals. There's only so much they can do, even with a even with a great matchup. And we should probably be thankful they did the bare minimum and got Joe Mixon going his first hundred yard game of the season, and got Tyler Boyd as ten and 123. Even Auden Tate got a touchdown. That actually that was one of the stories of the first half. They could have had a touchdown. But Auden Tate uh, put the entire DFS universe on tilt and dropped a touchdown on third down. Um, so, yeah, basically we saw the limitations of a bad offense, even in a good matchup, and kind of a cautionary tale of even though – so, like, at versus Arizona looked great for Andy Dalton on the schedule, but at Andy Dalton also looked great for the Cardinals. And that's kind of what we saw today. The Bengals faced the Dolphins in the second-to-last week of the season. Uh that might be an interesting one with a few <laughs> things on the table for the winner slash really the loser. And I believe, believe week six is one of the biggest games of the season, the Redskins versus Dolphins. The Minnesota Vikings improve to three and two as they take down the New York Giants away in the Meadowlands. Still called the Meadowlands, 28 to 10. Um, we bring on Hayden Winks now who covered this game. Hayden, all that we heard throughout the week was Kirk Cousins apologizing both to Adam Thielen, then just like in general to the universe. And then also Stefan Diggs, like basically requesting a trade, not saying it, not practicing, but then playing that is to the tune of two touchdown passes for, from Kirk cousins and to the tune of Adam Thielen racking up eight targets, seven receptions, 130 yards and two touchdowns himself. Yeah. The fantasy community really needed that apology too. Uh, he looked, he looked pretty good. Um, I mean, he, looked, he actually looked great. Lots of play action. Lots of Thielen over the middle. Um, not so much Diggs, but um, the game kind of got out of hand early, and I think Diggs just kind of fell out of the game plan a little bit. Um, but Thielen looks great, had a corner of the end zone grab, and then uh, a grab right over the middle for a touchdown. So um, Thielen looks back on track. They have another friendly matchup next week against the Eagles. Um, so I guess kind of the attention turn- kind of turns to Stefan Diggs. It's, it's wild because, like, this is an offense – that if it at least had a passing game in previous weeks, fans would have loved because of how great Dalvin Cook has been playing. And again, he did it today. I mean, 21 carries, 132 yards with a long run of 41. Then he goes and adds six receptions on all six of his targets for another 86 yards. Do you think that this balance can be there now? Or is it mainly just playing one of the worst defenses in the league in the New York Giants? 
Yeah, I think a lot of it's going to be based on the Giants' defense. But, I mean, the pieces are there. It's just, it's just, it just falls onto Kirk Cousins and the offensive line, too, and the play calling a little bit. So there are issues, but Dalvin Cook, Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, I mean, that, those are centerpieces. Uh, Dalvin Cook looked excellent, like you said. He's beating defenders on outside runs. He's running over defenders in the middle, catching all of his passes, chunk gains. I mean, he's a stud. So it's just a, a matter of firing on all cylinders. And that's easy to do against the Giants. Let's flip on over to the Giants side of this. I believe Wayne Gallman left fairly early with a concussion or concussion like symptoms. I, I want to focus on Daniel Jones because, you know, he had that great week one that come back against the Tampa Bay Bucks, right? Um, then in week two of him starting, he threw two interceptions to the Washington Redskins, a bad defense. This is a very good defense that he faced in Mike Zimmer, and he is known to confuse veteran quarterbacks. And in this case, he confused a rookie quarterback to the tune of 21 of 38 for 182 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Yeah, Danny Dimes kind of turned back into Daniel Jones. This was the Duke quarterback that came out today. Um, he was pretty inaccurate. There were some hospital balls. He's he basically leaving his uh, pass catchers over in the middle. There's a couple of big hits that the Sterling Shepard and some other people took. But it was just there's two brutal passes. Sterling Shepard could have had a long touchdown, and then Sterling Shepard was wide open in the middle of the end zone, and he just overthrew him. So, yeah, it was just a, a tough day for him. There's, these rookie mistakes are going to happen. Um, maybe Saquon Barkley returning next week will, will help a little bit, but um, they get the Patriots on sh- a short week. That's going to be a pretty brutal watch. Yeah, and it's in New England too, and I think the Patriots defense might be the best in the NFL right now, even yep. more than the Bears. Um, you know, there was talk this week since Golden Tate was returning, how he'd fit with Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram. I know Evan Ingram saw 11 targets, Sterling Shepard saw 10 targets, and Golden Tate saw six. What was what's your vibe that you got from those three? Yeah, Golden Tate played the slot. He just wasn't on the same page with Daniel Jones. Um, Evan Ingram, I'm not really worried about. He's just too good. They're going to manufacture touches to him, and um, even when they aren't, he's just so explosive. He can make a play out of anything. Sterling Shepard saw 10 targets, I believe. Um, he looked fine today. I'm kind of concerned with Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard kind of canceling each other out, um, especially like next week. I wouldn't want to play either of those guys in fantasy. Um, but yeah, I think Evan Ingram still top five tight end. Uh, Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate might be like wide receiver fours. Um, I wouldn't play Golden Tate until he did something. That's for sure. Hmm. Let's flip on over to the other game that you covered. That was the Broncos going to the Los Angeles Chargers and winning 20 to 13. Uh, this is the first win that the Broncos had all season, and they scored 17 of their 20 points in the first half. How do they take such an early 17 to nothing lead, Hayden? Yeah, uh, Philip Lindsay scored a four yard touchdown right off the bat um, on a good drive, and then Cortland Sutton got got free over the middle, broke a um, broke a tackle, then was off for a 70 yard touchdown. And then after that, it was just Joe Flacco sitting on the ball. He only passed the ball 20 times. Philip Lindsay had a great game, was just making a bunch of defenders miss. He's so fast right now. Um, and then Freeman was also involved. And, yeah, the Chargers just couldn't do anything on offense, and the game was over before you knew it. Yeah, that Cortland Sutton 70-yard touchdown just made multiple defenders miss, broken tackles. He had seven yep. targets. Emmanuel Sanders only one target. I mean, again, yep. it goes back to Joe Flacco only attempting 20 passes, but Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman combined for 28 uh, carries between the two of them. Um, so on the other end, LA Chargers, 
We know that Phillip Rivers always has trouble facing this Broncos defense. It doesn't matter if they're good or if they're bad. Uh, And in this game, he threw for 211 yards and two interceptions on 48 attempts. That uh, is just not a good day at the office. Yeah, and Phillip Rivers is kind of due for one of these games every every now and now and again. Um, Keenan Allen was on Chris Chris Harris Island, didn't do basically anything at all, and uh, uh, Mike Williams was laying down on the ground early in the game. I thought he was going to be pulled, um, but he bounced right back up, got in the game. But he was also held. Uh, he had 13 targets, which I believe is a career high, but didn't really do anything with them. And then it was just Austin Eckler check down after check down after check down, ended with 15 receptions that tied what? in. Yeah, tied a Chargers franchise record. Pretty pretty crazy game, but um, he didn't really do a whole lot uh, outside of those receptions. It was just a bunch of cheap yards. Um, but, I mean, I think the biggest takeaway here was Austin Eckler looked much better than Melvin Gordon. Hmm. Yeah, Melvin Gordon had 12 carries for 31 yards. Austin Eckler, three carries for seven, but you mentioned those 15 receptions for 86 yards. Uh, a long... Reception of 17, 16 targets overall. I think Melvin Gordon had four receptions of his own. But yeah, talk to me a little bit more about that. Do you- Melvin Gordon just kind of looked out of it a little bit. I guess it's kind of assumed coming off of a, a holdout. He looked like heavier, like especially uh, in comparison to Eckler. And I think the Chargers are definitely going to keep Eckler in the passing game. I think if the game was closer, Melvin Gordon was going to see a lot more touches um, or at least carries. They He was in the game early and he had... Um, 12 carries to Eckler's three, I believe. And yeah, I think just going forward, Eckler's not going to come off the field when the Chargers need first down in the passing game. And Melvin's going to get the goal line carries, I believe. Eckler had a goal line fumble again. Um, so yeah, I would I would rank Eckler slightly ahead of Melvin Gordon for the next couple weeks. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Who, who knows what's going to happen? If the Chargers think that they lost because of this game plan, they could flip the script and then go really Melvin heavy next week. But yeah, who knows? The Baltimore Ravens go into Pittsburgh and win 26 to 23. John Daigle bring him in. Uh, Daigle, just from watching this, and it was an overtime victory for the Ravens, um, a massive story early on was an Earl Thomas hit on Mason Rudolph, which left him, this might be the wrong word, but I'm going to use it. Uh, like lifeless on the ground and uh, he was escorted off the field and that means someone named Devin Hodges stepped in first let's focus though on the Ravens Um, just looking at Lamar Jackson's passing numbers 19 to 28 161 one touchdown three interceptions five sacks taken doesn't sound like a good day at the office for him under pressure for Lamar Jackson the entire time nothing on the outside got going he depended on the slot and the issue is when Marquise Brown leaves midway through the first quarter, yes, he caught a touchdown before he left. But when he leaves midway through the first quarter, it's just hard to get anything going with Willie Sneed. Hence why Willie Sneed led the team in receiving, actually. Um, Mark Andrews looked good. He still got his fair share of targets from the slot. But this just came down to Mark Andrews not being able to hurdle defenders and punch himself into the end zone. Mark Ingram getting that one-yard run. for I think it was a four-yard run, actually, out. And then, uh, yeah, just Lamar Jackson doing Lamar things, running the ball, scrambling, trying to keep the offensive alive. But it was really just a case of the Steelers uh, containing as much as they possibly could, given the circumstance. 
What were the three interceptions like? Were they deflections? Were they straight to the defense? Oh no, they were so bad. Oh no. They, yeah, they were. They were really bad, buddy. Uh, forced one over the middle into like triple coverage. Another with 35 seconds, I believe, uh, left in the first half. And rather than he could have just honestly slid or uh, or just made a short dump off and watched the clock tick down and head into the half. But instead, he forced a ball into the sideline that led to an interception inside the 40. Um, and then the third one was a great play by Devin Bush over the middle, but it was still ultimately an overthrow of Nick Boyle over the middle of the field. Yeah, and you did have 70 rushing yards, the longest run of nine. So it seemed like just super small chunks each and every time. Okay, on the Pittsburgh side, um, again, Mason Rudolph threw for 131 yards and a touchdown before he left. Then Devin Hodges came in. But I guess the biggest play was a Juju Smith-Schuster was at a 35-yard touchdown. Like, he got his seven for 75 and that touchdown. Um, I know it's too early to say, like, what could happen next week or the next game for the Steelers, but... It's starting to look like it could be a rough season with all these quarterback injuries. It's starting to look like I still don't understand why they traded that first-round pick. It makes zero sense. Uh, First possession, three and out, whatever. Uh, Lots of dump-offs, typical horizontal offense that this team has run with Mason Rudolph under center. Second, they went back to the Wildcat immediately. Jalen Samuels throws a nasty interception just like an unwarranted throw that he should have just ran out of bounds with, tosses interception, Wildcat done for the day. Third third possession, they come back, Mason Rudolph hits a 21-yard bomb, then a 35-yard touchdown. I believe the drive was only four plays, and boom, we're talking again. 10-7 game. And then just that nasty hit by Earl Thomas uh, knocks out Rudolph, and then Rudolph, who was already knocked out, knocks himself out again when he hits the ground. Very unfortunate and quite scary, actually, because he was cold. Um, And then someone, something I still don't believe is real, named Devlin Hodges, who's a scrambling quarterback, comes in. Very poised, actually. Uh, Looked to Deontay Johnson and Juju a lot. But given the circumstances, like this is a third-string quarterback, undrafted nonetheless, coming off the bench against a defense who is not prepared at all for this. So I just assume that's why he looks so poised. And not bad, actually. But if he's forced to start, I would imagine it's a disaster. Uh, last week, the Steelers were a little tricky uh, in their win. I mean, they tried a lot of Wildcat stuff with Jalen Samuels. I see in this game he attempted two passes, including an interception. Like, what the heck are the Steelers doing? It was – so we discussed this in the pod. They said they only went to Wildcat Monday night because Vance McDonald and Roosevelt Knicks weren't active. Thus, they had no choice but to run one tight end sets with Nick Vanette the entire time and get Jalen Samuels involved. Jalen Samuels should be involved, honestly, more in this offense, like 40% of the time, because it's the only way it functions properly, and at least it's somewhat creative. However, with Vance McDonald healthy, uh, they didn't go to it, like I said, until that second possession. And once, and it was very results-oriented, which it shouldn't have been. Uh, two plays in, he fakes a handoff to James Conner, scrambles right, throws a bad pass that's intercepted, and they just canceled it from there. Like They should have at least gone back to it, but the interception just weighed on their minds the entire time. The other game you had was the Philadelphia Eagles at home just taking care of the New York Jets. Uh, 31-6. to Dago, I'm not going to ask you for like, you know, the Iliad here of this game because who wants to hear about it? Um, I mean, look, just how dominant were the Eagles? How did they put up their points? Because we know the Jets absolutely suck with Luke Falk at quarterback. 
sure. Okay, a quick Adam Gase rant here. Okay, Daigle, because please, it's, please do. It's utterly ridiculous. Himself. It's utterly ridiculous that you prep your hurt, mono-induced starting quarterback all week in practice, takes all first-team reps, and he's not even cleared yet to play. So you again shove in Luke Falk, who's not good, and now you put him in a not-good situation behind an offensive line with injuries, and this is what happens. Like, I'm not saying Adam Gase can help this team win in the Jets, but they at least can be competitive in some aspects, and it doesn't seem like they were in this 31-6 loss. Outside of Caleb McGarry versus J.J. Watt, the Jets' offensive line versus Philly's defensive line was one of the well-known mismatches of Week 5, and uh, it showed itself. The first time ever, I believe, a defense have had 10 sacks and two touchdowns. Um, just absurd. Luke Falk, overwhelmed, uh, shouldn't, I mean, shouldn't even be put in that situation, honestly. It was so bad. He just looked like a, like a college redshirt. It was ugly. Uh, Le'Veon Bell still getting every single touch he can possibly handle, but in the least creative ways imaginable. So it's like not even worth it. He's just a floor play right now until, until Sam Darnold comes back. What we need to talk about, though, honestly, is their upcoming schedule. Because in week two waiver wire column, I wrote you could drop Jameson Crowder, you could drop Robbie Anderson. And those have held true this entire time just because the offense is useless without a healthy Sam Darnold. But their next three weeks, Cowboys, Patriots, Jaguars. Yeah. But after that, so for those forward-thinking teams right now, 4-1, 5-0, something like that, a confident 3-2, the Jets have the easiest schedule from week nine on. And not just like a strength of schedule according to wins and losses, like Warren Sharp's forecasted strength of schedule that's schedule adjusted. So if you can get, not if, you can get, it's as long as you have room on the back of your bench. I think going for Robbie Anderson and Jamison Crowder right now is a very forward-thinking move. And that'll help you in the playoffs. Because from week nine on, just quickly, Dolphins, Giants, Redskins, Raiders, Bengals, Dolphins, Ravens. I mean, that's a... That is a fantasy playoff smash waiting to happen. Uh, the Eagles put up 31 points, and if my math is correct, they only had two offensive touchdowns. So I'm assuming they either had special teams or defensive touchdowns. But just give me a nugget on the Eagles' offense, something we can take away from this, because, again, we don't have to spend too much time on them. Uh, Zach Ertz led them in receiving. I think, okay. that's, I think that's – I mean, no, honestly, Carson Wentz was – he like he wasn't bad. Uh, did he make a few throws he didn't need to? Yes. Did he miss Nelson Aguilar on a 40-plus yard would-be touchdown? Yes. But overall, like, they had a three-score lead going into the half because a blitzing linebacker came up the middle and Carson Wentz, like, hit him as the clock ticked down, hit Zach Ertz for a touchdown, 11-yard score over the middle of the field. And so Jordan Howard just took care of it from there. I mean, it, it gen- there was genuinely, I'm not kidding, there was nothing to take away from this game offensively. Uh, if anything, we now know we have, or we don't know, but we assume Deshaun Jackson's going to be back next week. And we haven't seen Zach Ertz play a game with both Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson since week one, since Deshaun Jackson went down with a non-contact injury in week two. And in week one, he had, I think he finished with four catches for 54 yards. So now it's really just uh, trying to temper our expectations and figuring out what to do with Zach Ertz moving forward. The New England Patriots improved to 5-0 and with a 33-7 win over the very lowly Washington Redskins. 
Um, Jesse Pantusco, begrudgingly, covered this game for us. Uh, Jesse, the scoreboard says domination. Was that the case in the field as well? Not in the first half. Patriots were actually down seven, uh, seven nothing. It was their first deficit of the season. They gave up a random sixty-five yard jet sweep touchdown to Stephen Sims of all people, an undrafted rookie. But uh, and Brady struggled a bit in the first half. He threw a well. He, first off, he missed Josh Gordon on a what would have been a wide open sixty-five yard touchdown. Just overthrew him, so that was kind of a missed opportunity there. And he also uh, he took a few sacks in this game and threw a bad uh, red zone interception. Actually, a second red zone interception in the last two weeks on a pass uh, he forced to James White, kind of an awkward back foot pass with with pressure coming. But uh, in the in the first half, they or in the second half, they got the run game going with Sony Michelle and completely dominated and ended up uh, you know winning by a pretty comfortable margin scoring 33 unanswered points against, yes, the winless Washington Redskins. Yeah, so Tom Brady last week against the Bills, a very good Bills defense, honestly looked rattled. And here he had 348 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. 110 of those went to Julian Edelman. 59 of those went to Josh Gordon. Was he comfortable in this one? Like, did the Patriots offensive line play well? Was everything inside a structure just how they wanted to? Uh, I, I, it was kind. Of, it was kind of uh, like what what I described earlier that he, it took him a little while to to find his rhythm. But I, I think you you nailed it with Edelman. Uh, they they sh- that was probably the best chemistry that they've shown all year. Um, and Edelman came into this game with a chest injury and actually sort of aggravated it. On uh, he fell on a play where uh, where he drew a long pass interference, and you're worried if he was going to go to the sidelines again. Um, and he ended up having a pretty good game with uh, an 8 110 one receiving line, the 110 yards being his most since uh, the Super Bowl when he won MVP. Edelman's, uh, he, the, the one catch, uh, the one target he didn't catch uh, was a drop, and that's been a little bit of a problem for him this year. He's got four drops. That's the second most in the league behind John Ross. Um, but obviously that didn't, uh, you know, that didn't dissuade Brady from looking to him, um, early and often in this game. So, um, you know, uh, yeah, they, they, they turned it around late and, uh, this ended up being the most, uh, most passing yards, uh, for Brady this season. And he also made a bit of history. He, uh, passed Brett Favre for third on the NFL's all-time passing yards list. And now he's only 17 away from tying Peyton Manning's, which he will obviously do, uh, on Thursday night against the Giants. And most importantly, we got a Sony Michelle game. I mean, we've been clamoring for a Sony Michelle game. We thought others would be that, but in this case, we did 91 receiving yards and a touchdown uh, and 32 yards in the air as well. Um, it's been said, Jesse, that Jay Gruden has had it as his goal this year to have Colt McCoy basically as a starter. He had that in this one, 119 yards and an interception on, on the air, um, six sacks. It looks like nothing went well for this Redskins. Just give it to me in a few sentences because I don't know if I want to uh, hear the rest of it. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was as bad as it looked. It probably could have been worse. Uh, he had two fumbles. They Washington luckily recovered both of them. Took a lot of pressure. Didn't look comfortable. Uh, the one interception was on a, a mix-up with uh, with Stephen Sims uh, that Jason McCourty just read like a book. Uh, yeah, I you know I, I don't think there's a future with the Colt McCoy. It's a little surprising they haven't turned to Dwayne Haskins yet. We know there was a report that came out this week that Gruden may never have wanted him, but uh, ultimately that's probably not going to matter because uh, I don't think Gruden's last in the year, um, if not, you know, the end of this season. A week. 
<laughs> um, so we go from the bad game to a pretty good game, and that's the Green Bay Packers at the Dallas Cowboys. Green Bay going in to Cowboys Arena. I guess it called it Coliseum and winning 34 to 24. They improved to four and one. The Packers do. Uh, and we're actually leading in this game 17 to nothing at halftime. And Jesse, that was without Devonte Adams. So how did the Packers put points on the board with, uh, with Aaron Jones, who had pretty much the game of his life, 182 yards from scrimmage, led the Packers in both uh, rushing and receiving yards, and obviously scored four touchdowns too, which was the the most by a Packers runner since uh, Dorsey Levens did it in 2000, back when Aaron Jones was five years old. <laughs> so uh, he absolutely had a career day. Took advantage of uh, an added workload with a uh, Devonte Adams being gone from the receiving game with the turf toe injury, and also without uh, his his backup running back Jamal Williams, who was concussed in the loss to Philadelphia last week. Um, we saw a little bit of uh, Trey Carson, who had 10 touches uh, as working as the backup to Jones. Dexter Williams, the rookie out of Notre Dame, was a healthy scratch for this one. But, yeah, it was pretty much all Aaron Jones, both uh, as a receiver and and obviously carrying the running game with 107 yards on the ground. Yeah, and those four touchdowns, like you mentioned, on the ground as well to go with those seven receptions for 75 yards. Uh, meanwhile, Aaron Rodgers accounted for no touchdowns uh, himself. On the other side, Jesse, uh, we saw some good Dak plays. We saw many bad Dak plays, the tune of 27 of 44, 463, two touchdowns, and three interceptions. It seemed like early on, the Cowboys offensive line without Tyron Smith was really struggling to stop that Packers pass rush. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point you bring up uh, because it, it wasn't just Tyron Smith. That was the biggest the biggest glaring hole at left tackle with Cam Fleming, who did uh, he had a he had a hard time today, obviously against uh, you know the Packers pass rush. Zadarius Smith, the free agent linebacker they they got from Baltimore, has had a great start. He had uh, two sacks in this game, he had five for the year now, and four in his last two games. So he was relentless, and uh, the. The Cowboys were also without Lael Collins for uh, most of the second half. He went down with a knee injury. Brandon Knight actually did a decent job in his place. But, yeah, um, you know, Dak's going to struggle when when he's playing without his two starting tackles. Um, we all know that the offensive line is a strength of the Cowboys, but um, not when they're all injured. Meanwhile, Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup both went out. But let's focus on Amari here. 11 receptions, 226 yards, and a touchdown on 14 targets. That's ridiculous. I saw one play where, I mean, he had a lot of time, but he absolutely turned around Jair Alexander before the reception and then also after the reception for a long touchdown. Uh, I mean, this was one of the best Amari Cooper performances we've ever seen. It, it was his career high in yards. And, you know, it wasn't without uh, a few stumbling blocks along the way. He got off to, you know, kind of the worst start possible. Uh, Dak had him wide open and Cooper literally dropped it into Jair Alexander's hands and he took it back for a 38 yard uh, interception return. But uh, the rest of the way, you know, Cooper, uh, I think for the most part, though, Amari Cooper played Jair Alexander, uh, probably won that matchup. And as you said, he, he had that uh, beat him uh, for that 53 yard touchdown in the fourth quarter. Uh, just, you know, one on one matchup, no safety help. Um, spun a defender to get into the end zone. Uh, he he looked pretty awesome, and uh, and that was a really fun matchup too because Jair Alexander came into this week as uh, the number one graded uh, coverage corner according to Pro Football Focus 
Um, and Cooper and Jair, I mean, they, they battled and, uh, you know, they, they didn't win each time, but I mean, Cooper is, is, he's absolutely established himself as a, you know, weekly wide receiver one in fantasy. And, you know, with each huge game like this, he's earning himself more money in free agency or a franchise tag or whatever the Cowboys end up doing with him this off season. Meanwhile, Michael Gallup came off a multi-week injury to get 14 targets, caught half of them seven 113 yards and a touchdown. How'd he look? I mean, he looked fresh whenever I tuned in this game. Yeah, he did. Um, and, and I was really surprised. We were, we were all kind of hesitant to play him coming. I off was the, for sure. Coming off the meniscus uh, trim. He made it back a little faster than we expected from that um, on the early end of that two to four week timetable. And it's a, you know, it's a tough matchup against what I think is an underrated Packers uh, defense that came into this game, um, allowing the third fewest passing yards per game. Um, and he ended up playing 61 of 71 offensive snaps, which is about 86 percent, uh, had, you know, picked up exactly where he left off uh, before the injury with went over 100 yards. And he had a, a really nice 40 yard touchdown where he beat uh, Tremont Williams. You know, it, it was a little bit uh, inflated by garbage time. Ninety one of the 113 yards he tallied came came after halftime with with Dallas kind of in catch up mode. I mean, they were down 31 to three at one point and then cut it to a 10 point deficit in the fourth quarter. But I think, you know, um, I think Michael Gallup, to me, he's he's an every week wide receiver, too, going forward. And he has a really enticing matchup coming up uh, against the Jets who haven't, you know, still haven't won a game and haven't really stopped anyone this year. Um, So I'm pretty bullish on him. I'd say him being back probably hurts Randall Cobb the most. He only saw six targets in this game while. Gallup and Cooper accounted for 28 of the 44 passing attempts by Dak. The Buffalo Bills improved to four and one by winning 14 to seven against the Tennessee Titans. I'm sure this was an absolutely thrilling game, but really on paper, at least it looks like a defensive battle. And we turn to Anthony Costa, who was the one who covered it for us. Anthony, was that the case? Was it the Bills defense getting the better of Marcus Mariota and the Titans defense getting the better of Josh Allen? It went as expected. Um, defensive slugfest. A lot of three and outs. Uh, Titans really beat themselves more than anything. Six penalties from the offensive line. Really as bad as they looked, they probably should have won. Um, obviously the kicking game, Carol Santos four missed field goals. He's probably getting cut. That's what I'm seeing on Twitter. But yeah, um, Vrabel coached uh, an awful game. The Santos thing. Sent them out there in the fourth quarter for a meaningless field goal. They ended up getting another possession, but that was as bad of a coaching decision I've seen. Uh, I've got a lot of concerns with the Titans offense. Arthur Smith, first-year coordinator, I think they've got some issues there. Play calling was very predictable. Um, And for the Bills, I think we talked about it on a previous podcast. The Bills are in a great spot. You look at the schedule. uh, Redskins in two games against Miami coming out of their bye. So very realistically looking at seven and one, the DVOA isn't good. They haven't beat anyone, but this was a huge win for them. Yeah. By meaningless field goal, wasn't it like six or something minutes left down, I guess seven in this case. And instead of going for it on fourth down, he kicks that field goal again after Kyra Santos has already missed them. Is that right? That's right. It was three misses going in. It's a 50 plus yarder. It was like, yeah, it was, um, (laughs) Fourth and five from the 35. Very obvious situation they go for it. Wow. Uh, And Josh Allen, we know that he suffered a concussion last week against the New England Patriots. Uh, 
came out of that game early, wasn't cleared this week until Saturday. He finished 23 of 32, 219, two touchdowns and an interception. Um, was that interception typical Josh Allen type things? Like were there positive plays, were there negative plays? Very typical um, Allen interception. Um, you know, he kind of got caught trying to do too much, which I think is kind of the knock on him. Um, but overall, rebound week for him. Uh, three interceptions last week, got knocked out of that game. I thought he looked good. Uh, he took four sacks. Um, but really, when you look at it, this offense doesn't go anywhere without Allen. So, you know, getting cleared, getting through the protocol, I think that's huge. Um and I think when you're looking at it, supporting cast just is there. He's winning without a star receiver, and he's getting better every week. Um, a lot of the bad stuff's still there, but it's not as frequent. And I think there's a very real chance Allen's leading Buffalo to the playoffs this year. Um, they would have to really tank at this point. Frank Gore had 60 yards. Uh, John Brown was the leading receiver with 75 yards. Isaiah McKenzie added a 46-yard reception. Um, meanwhile, on the Titans' side... Anthony, like, it's tough to know when to trust this team with your fantasy lineup or even, like, an enjoyable watch, right? Because, you know, we see A.J. Brown on, like, three receptions absolutely go off last week. And this week he has two targets for 27 yards. We've seen Derrick Henry post monster numbers. This week he had 20 carries and 78 yards and a touchdown. But, again, Corey Davis, two receptions on four targets, 28 yards, like, this is just not a team that has an identity. And that's the same thing you could have said about them last year. It's Yeah, and honestly, I think it's probably a step back. And the issue isn't talent. I mean, they, they have talent. Corey Davis, A.J. Brown are good receivers. But you know, I'm staying away from the Titans pass offense. Um, Mario is taking too many sacks, and it's just too hard to predict. Um, but I do think Henry, um, you know, really the last few weeks, he's kind of run away with the backfield. Him and Deion Lewis are going in opposite directions. There were a few red zone chances for him in this game. He only ended up with one touchdown, but there was another one called back on holding. Um, I think Henry has a safe floor, and the workloads have been huge, 20-plus touches the last two weeks. So I think that's what I expect going forward, just all Henry and Deion Lewis are non-factor. Anthony, I stopped recording. You said no. You stopped that. I need to talk about Duke Williams. I believe Duke Williams was caught up from the practice squad like this weekend. Uh, and in this game, he caught all four of his targets for 29 yards and a touchdown. Called up from the practice squad in his debut, played 78% of snaps. Um, so two fewer snaps than John Brown. There were reports that the Bills were going to game on him. I didn't know what to expect. I don't think anyone did. Um, but he started. They actually started him. And he played over Cole Beasley and Zay Jones in two wide sets. Even with the Bills off next week, I think he's a dynasty add. You look at the Bills receivers, they're all undersized. So maybe he develops into the red zone guy. Scored the game-winning touchdown this week on a red zone play. Um, but yeah, there was some hype for Williams this offseason. We've seen the CFL stats. I think both the Auburn guys, Williams and Darius Slayton, are dynasty adds. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 